Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. In this week's podcast, we are going to talk about prophets slain in Jerusalem. But before we get to that... Boy, what a teaser. Yes, yes. We know who they are. Tune in, and we'll let you know when and how, and also how much food storage you need to stockpile. We're going to start with uh, a couple of emails that we have here. Um, this one, the subject line, job application. <laughs> job application. Yes, dear doc. So we, we, we've, we're, we, do we put a job search out there? Uh, well, he wants to replace me, which is, it's, it makes sense. You know what? I'm, I'm ready to hear Derek out. <laughs> yeah, actually, so am I. He makes a lot of good <laughs> points. Um, I will keep your titles as to not misspell your names. First, I would like to send this application to replace Richard. As the co as the co host, as was announced several episodes back, <laughs> I have absolutely no qualifications. But I feel that as the podcast has no reason to be as successful as it is, I should be able to do fine myself in adding quips and bad jokes. So that's so, a, a direct shot. You know, one of the worst parts about Derek's opening paragraph is who says we're successful. What, well, that's not the worst part to me. Yeah, the, as the successful quips, as we are, quips and bad jokes. Yeah, that's a reference to you, though, not me, I think. Of, well, of course it that's is. That's why he's trying to that's replace That's why he's trying to replace me. All kidding aside, I just wanted to mention how much this podcast has strengthened myself and my testimony, especially when I was at a pretty low point in my life, a point that has actually lasted several years. I had been inactive for some time, not due to a lack of faith, but other personal issues. I'm in the military, and after a divorce, have spent... Um, several years and he kind of goes on talking about some of the the difficulty that he that he had experienced. I came across your podcast during July of 2022. I've not stopped listening to it. I always listen to an episode as I drive my sons back to their mother's house on Sunday afternoon after church. Usually the two of them will fall asleep nearly instantly as soon as I get on the freeway. Like most of our listeners. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's our that's our demo, by the way. Yeah. We, Children we, falling asleep yeah. as they enter the freeway. Well, if you remember, we had uh, a, a sweet uh, lady who written into us who said that we make her one-year-old go to sleep constantly, right? That No, the, the one-year-old was forced to listen to the podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I we don't know the age of Derek's children here, but we can only assume. Well, I, I feel like he has the ability to take their agency away by making them listen to us. So there's yes. that. We would really help us out, Derek, if you pr- purchase for them their own individual devices and download those on. Right. We just need, we're just yeah, trying to drive downloads. <laughs> but as much as I listen to the podcast, I have noticed more and more brief moments of consciousness from the two nowadays. There are even minutes on end where they will be awake and listening, especially when we came across the Mountain Meadow Massacre episode. Now, there is a point to me saying all of that. I also listened to a podcast hosted by a pretty famous retired Navy SEAL and leadership development consultant. I was listening to an episode 
where he was interviewing an individual who claimed to have a lot of knowledge on the Civil War, and both were giving history of it. Being somewhat of a history enthusiast myself, I know one when I see one, or in this case, hear one. The interviewee was speaking very informal and had so many verbal pauses that I began to doubt if this person was a teacher of history. I paused the podcast and turned to my oldest son, who was sitting next to me, and told him how I felt. Quote, I don't think this guy has a history degree and probably just read a ton of books on the Civil War and knows a ton of facts. Just listen to the way he is talking, and not once has he even given a single source to anything he has mentioned. There's another podcast I listened to from a doctor in history called The Standard of Truth. Oh, we know. You do? Yes. You listen to it every Sunday. And that was some great acting on my part, by the way, as I had the back and forth. Yeah, you could, I, I really put you in the back seat I of the car. I kind of feel like the, our listeners won't be able to, they'll just assume that Derek's talking to himself. <laughs> Could I you, feel like I, I hope that. you could have less inflection. I did. <laughs> I did. I did uh, please bring your emotion down yeah. while you're reading this email. I feel like I really nailed that. Uh, I really captured you're the vision. You're demonstrating why Derek needs to replace <laughs> you. You're demonstrating it right now. After some clarification, he let it be known that it wasn't a bad thing, but that he knew and had been listening to the episode as well. This podcast has been able... Uh, uh, this podcast and being able to understand the history of the church using actual sources has helped me to see it for what it is, a real church with real history, not just a bunch of myths that were taught in primary. I know that I have gained much in the way of a testimony because of it, but I also feel that it has helped my sons as well. And with their own knowledge of the prophet Joseph Smith and other prophets and teachings in this last year of regaining activity in the church, there have been a lot of things that have come together for myself and my sons. And this podcast has definitely been one of those things to help. Thank you so much for the time and effort to give us half good quality entertainment and learning full of self-deprecating jokes and what has finally allowed me to understand townships and the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. I will definitely invest in the premium goods as you have dedicated as you have a dedicated listener in me. That that is just beautiful. I mean, first of all, the half good quality. I mean, at least we rated half. Yeah, I've always considered us like one sixteenth quality. Yeah. Um. I, by the way, we we have joked about having a premium episode of just about the Guadalupe. We're going to do the, the Mexican treaty. War. <laughs> And, and the primarily the Treaty of Guadalupe yeah. Hidalgo. Yep. Yeah, it's, that'll that'll drive the people, people to it. The people, people cry, cry out. out. Yep, they cry out as my brother says. This this was very sweet uh, uh, email. Yeah. yeah, and thank you so much, Derek, for letting us know. And I mean, obviously, we receive some uh, emails where people are unhappy with. Uh, we don't read them, obviously. Well, most of the ones, well, we don't read them on 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 the podcast. <laughs> This is a bad time to let the re- the listeners know that we don't know how to read. Uh, <laughs> it was obvious the way I read that email that we don't know how but to read. A lot of times when we get angry emails, they're from people who haven't even listened to the podcast at all. Um, for instance, I remember we got one angry email from someone who said, the standard of truth, question mark, question mark, question mark. So are you going to... Are you going to even tell them that Joseph Smith told multiple accounts of the first vision? To which I emailed back and said, actually, that was one of our first episodes where we went through all of the accounts of the first vision and described the circumstances in which they were received. I'm always stunned that people will 
either comment on something on Facebook or they'll email. Like that's a lot of effort to go look up an email and email it without even one time listening to what it even is, right? I, I care enough to, to, to let you know, and just so everyone listening knows, I've been told that I'm going to be going to hell uh, if we're believing in the wrong Jesus. And um, that that's a lot of effort you're going to take, but not spend even a minute listening to the, the podcast. So that, that is, that is, we do have another email before. What is, what does Joseph Smith say about uh, going to hell? Well, it, it's, it's great because Joseph teaches that, you know, of course, hell doesn't really exist. And so Joseph, as he's talking about his constantly being condemned to hell, he says, I have no fear of hell that don't exist. <laughs> um, and, and that's because of doctrine covenant section 76, right? That teaches that while we will suffer, for the sins that we refuse to repent for, the Protestant idea of hell, this idea of a place of never-ending burning and suffering for eternity doesn't actually exist. We suffer in the spirit world, but then we will be resurrected and we'll go to a kingdom of glory and happiness and bliss. And and so, yeah, Joseph, you know, people told him that he was going to hell all the time and his re- rejoinder was, well... Jokes on you. There isn't one. You know, so. so that's it. So next time, and there will be a next time, someone tells you to go uh, to hell. Population you. Yeah. Just, it's a dominion of bliss. Yeah. Thank you just, very just much. Just tell them. You know what? Tip of the cap, uh, and tip, I'm on my tip way. Tip of the cap. Yep. So, but I I really appreciate that. I mean, it's really the whole reason why we we did the podcast. Our our early champion to do it, the person who basically forced us to do it, Brady, uh, our friend, who who I I think forced me to do it by by getting together the the uh intro for uh, oh he, he fronted a bunch of money to to buy this equipment and do the stuff and he's like look stuff just showed up at your house yeah, it did it, and he said i guess you have to do it now because then i would have felt guilty i mean i i realized that we will never i mean you know apparently according to last episode we have one listener who's Parawan adjacent. Uh, and, and I think we had a listener at one point in Australia and, and we're never going to be super popular in part because maybe this is a little bit quirky and I'm obviously not a household name. Richard might be, but I'm not. Oh yes, I am. And, but the whole goal is, is exactly what, what you're getting from it, Derek. And that is, we want to try to answer some of these questions about church history, but examining them through an eye of faith and also through an eye of, of what the sources are. And, and frankly, that's where my faith comes from, that I don't believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet in spite of the things that I've read. I believe that Joseph Smith's a prophet because of the Holy Spirit and building on that with all of the things that I've read. And so I really appreciate it. I, I wish you the best um, with your, uh, your uh, you know, learning and growth. Look, we're all learning and growing. I mean, everyone everyone listening here is, is trying to find their way back to Jesus. So we're all there. Really appreciate you taking the time to send us that kind email. And we promise at some point we will talk about townships and Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo again. Um, so yeah, what a tease. So, um, the next, the next email, uh, that actually is going to lead to the discussion that we have today comes and it's about, uh, brother Truman G. Madsen. And so before I read the email, I would just like to say how much I love Truman Madsen. Yeah. Well, so we both do. I mean, 
I would say that now Truman Matson is not the reason why I have a testimony of Joseph Smith or, or started studying about him because uh, that came for me before, um, before I, I listened. When, when did I first start listening to Truman Madsen? Like many people listening right now, if you are in our age demographic and you aren't just one of Derek's children being forced to listen to this in a car, <laughs> what was on my mission? What about you? I know it was the same. In fact, part of our friendship uh, came in Logan, Utah, as we would um, quote lines from Truman Madsen. Uh, he, he had a he had a very unique way of speaking. It was very fun to listen and, and to. And he was an, an an incredible theologian and a passionate believer. And and there are many people listening to this podcast right now who a great deal of what they know about Joseph Smith and their testimony is rooted in what what Truman Madsen taught. And he's, he had two different sets of cassettes on the prophet Joseph Smith. And then he had another one that was less well known, but for Richard and oh, I, oh yeah, it was man, it, yeah, we I kind of want to go listen to it right now. Timeless questions, gospel insights, and by the way, for me, my love, my initial love of Joseph Smith actually did come from those those yeah. cassette tapes that I, I bought a cassette player and listened to them on my mission. I, I loved them so much that when I realized you couldn't get his talks on CDs, I actually bought a cassette to digital converter, which I'm, I think I'm admitting to a crime at this point. Yes. Okay. Uh, I wasn't selling them, but I was making a copy for my own home use. <laughs> All rights reserved, Major League Baseball. I don't know what I have to say at this point. If you're a police officer listening, I think it's past the statute of limitations. Just so I could listen to it, uh, and then I burned it to a CD. Remember when you burn things to CDs? Does any... Does anyone listening remember no, no, when no, we? No. Okay. We actually brought this up at work that we have some younger kids that are in. We brought up cassettes. We brought up eight tracks. Never even heard of them. It, so they didn't get to have the joy of a a Sony Discman <laughs> with the cassette adapter that you could plug into your cassette player in your car. Oh yeah. And then anytime you even thought about hitting a piece of gravel. And in Idaho, all of the yeah, roads. Yeah, all of the roads in Idaho. Like, Idaho's, you know, one of the places that, like, Armenia and Azerbaijan after the war are like, wow, you guys don't have very good roads. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's all gravel roads. Everywhere you, every address in, in Shelley is someone saying, here's where you turn off the paved road. <laughs> that, that's how you get directions. By the way, house. the paved road is the freeway. <laughs> Now it is. Ever since that <laughs> big J.R. Simplot come through. Um, anyway, uh, the anytime you hit a bump, it would skip. And so, but we we love Truman Madsen. And you know, I actually I I I never got to work or know work with him, know him before he passed away personally. But I have worked with and do know his his brother Gordon, who's really one of the church's you know, foremost experts in 19th century legal history. I mean, it, it's actually, it's hard to say anyone, you know, essentially Gordon Madsen and Jeff Walker and um, Jack Welch are the, you know, the, 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 the greatest legal minds there is covering Joseph Smith's um, legal uh, uh, cases. And, and so, you know, I, I, I haven't had a chance to talk with him before about things, but, 
it's really hard for us to overstate what an impact he had on our life. And I think it was a couple of things because he had, he was the greatest storyteller ever. I mean, he, he told the story in a way that you, you were hanging on every word. And he would, he would pause in just the right spot. So you'll notice we don't pause ever. No, we we talk too fast. We talk over each other. We don't have a train delivery and we're not very good teachers, but he he had you know what they call the pregnant pause where he'd be like and that's the reason why he can't, you know, yeah. and 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 then all of a sudden you're like what 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 why what's the reason why yeah, there's a, there's a couple that we that we that we like the one from timeless questions gospel insights of you can never step in the same river once yep very very great always pause. flowing always moving but anyway, he, he just had a brilliant mind. He was a philosopher. He was a devoted disciple. Um, his, his wife, um, Anne, uh, taught in our department, um, taught for the religion department at BYU uh, up until this past year when she, when she finally passed away. And it was, you know, it, it was seeing her what always, every time I saw her, brought back to mind my treasuring of those cassettes when I was on my mission and I got this powerful testimony of Joseph Smith being reiterated by someone coming from this academic position. And frankly, I, you know, I don't have the ability to carry water for Truman Madsen. Like I, uh, he was a much more brilliant mind than, than mine. Um, and he was doing all that he was doing without any of the digital resources that I have. None of them, right? I, you know, you know, it hasn't always been like this, but now I can get on josephsmithpapers.org and read every single thing that Joseph Smith wrote, said, and did. And I can do it with a search function that helps me find it. He was doing this when you had to cobble together 25 different books and go to a bunch of archives and get us get them to see if they'll let you copy a letter and, and and have that information i mean he he was uh an incredible religious educator and um I, i'm i'm grateful for everything he did uh for me in the gospel so the email is actually referencing a talk that he gave at Brigham Young University on June 5th of 1977. Now, let me just set the tone a little bit. (laughs) I was born a year later. Right. Yeah, so this talk was delivered while I was in the spirit world. (laughs) Um, Brother Madsen stated that the information we have... This is is from the email. So this is from the email, yes. Thank thank you, Garrett. Um, Derek, uh, Derek, you need to replace me immediately. That's right. At least come sit in. We'll put a third microphone out. Let's see how you do. Brother Madsen stated or states that the information we have from Joseph Smith Jr. indicates that he understood the two prophets lying dead in the streets to be Elijah and Enoch. Is there any type of documentation that would verify this statement? Now, that is a very brief email, right? I mean, we uh, not even fully explaining the topic, but I guess, uh, you know, uh, D uh, believes that we would just know where it is. And of course, it's a, it's a reference to the two prophets that are mentioned in the book of Revelation that is something that Latter-day Saints look at in an apocalyptic sense, right? That, that this will be at the second coming. Um, in fact, if we just go, I can read it 
real quick, uh, Revelation chapter 11, um, talking about um, how Jerusalem in the last days will be surrounded by this, this army, but the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, this is verse 2, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months. So this is that where, where we get that understanding of three and a half years. You hear people say that, right? 42 months, three and a half years. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. Now, uh, it's going to go on to talk about how powerful these prophets are. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have not power and have power over water to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues of the nation shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. I've always thought, by the level of wickedness, right? That they are sending each other presents because these two prophets have finally been killed. Right, I don't know what you call that Happy Martyrdom Day, or what? Well, maybe you, it happens during Christmas time, or you know what? That's a, you know what? Now there's going to be an entire offshoot branch of the church where people leave claiming that Jesus is coming on Christmas because of the presents that are given. Um, let me go back to verse eleven. Uh, and after three days and a half, the Spirit of Life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And then, of course, you have the, the earthquake that opens the second coming and Jesus coming. So think about this. I mean, these two prophets, the whole world is going to know that they are this problem in Jerusalem that are, that are and that they'll be killed and everyone will see them dead laying in the streets for three and a half days. And then they'll all be resurrected in front of everyone. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. And so this has actually been a very big part of uh, millennial literature in Christianity. This is obviously, it's, it's a powerful story even to read right here. Now, of course, some people are going to argue that this is figurative. But for people that are premillennial, people who believe that there will be a great destruction that comes um, before you know the, the Lord comes and then the, the Lord will wipe out wickedness, this is seen as the the precursor event to the second coming of Jesus. And ergo, there are always all kinds of questions and comments surrounding this story. And I'm sure most of the listeners 
especially Derek's kids, have had people say things to them like, oh, who do you think the two prophets are going to be? They're going to die. You think Derek's kids have hit that that at school, on the playground? No, I think that it's probably what they just talk about with each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're playing maybe Switch. Uh, They're playing on the Nintendo. And hey, who do you think the two prophets are? You know what? I'm going to go ask dad. And and part part of the issue as it relates to Christianity in general is is that there, there are no more prophets in the classic sense. Right, which which actually leads to a question. I, I remember uh, on my mission multiple times uh, having uh, a a pastor from another denomination uh, very aggressively let me know that I would be going to the hell that doesn't exist, and uh, uh, because I believed in the wrong Jesus and that there were no prophets, and and I would ask them, I would say, you know, I would I would say, well, well don't you believe God could call prophets today? And, and of course the answer to that always has to be, of course he could. Well, then why doesn't he? Well, cause we don't need them because we already have the Bible. We don't need prophets anymore. And my response would be, well, then why does revelation chapter 11 say that God is going to call two prophets? So we all agree. God is going to call two prophets. How are you going to recognize them? If you're so certain that none exist? Well, it won't be Joseph Smith. How could you possibly know? Because you're saying that there aren't any of them. At which point they usually shut the door. Um, I was a, I was an ineffective missionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that didn't work. <laughs> so you're asking me if on my mission I when you got when I you got converted smart, I converted multiple Protestant pastors. Well, I'm just That's saying, what you're asking. I'm just saying with your smart aleck comment that didn't uh, break down the walls. So. For our listeners, um, I generally can carry on a very even-keeled conversation with most people right up until the point they begin attacking Joseph Smith and saying lies about him. And then I... Katie bar the door. Well, as, (laughs) as Brigham Young once said, I have made up my mind that I will not let anyone speak of Joseph in my presence except he hears from me. And I, I'm not Brigham Young, but I, I don't know why I, at times, am not as, I'm more than willing to have a discussion about what people believe. The moment someone starts in with, well, Joseph Smith is a, a liar and a, an adulterer, well then, now we're, now let's talk about your sources. Anyway, um. At any rate, this is a very big, it, most Christian theologians of, of talking about the second coming have had to deal with this passage because it is so apparent. Who are these two prophets going to be? Of course, some people would say, well, this is actually, um, you know, this is all figurative. None of, you know, Revelation is not a, a literal destruction of Jerusalem. This is all a, a, a talking about spiritual bondage. So there aren't any, there aren't really two other prophets. But then there are those other questions, like from the pastor on my mission, well, who are those prophets going to be? Because I thought God was done calling prophets. So he's done calling prophets, but then he's all of a sudden just going to call two of them, right? So it would be nice if there was a solution where the two prophets that are killed in the streets in Jerusalem happen to be people who were already prophets in the past who never died, like Enoch and Elijah. Now, uh, we're going to play a clip of uh, of this talk so you can hear uh, what uh, 
uh, Truman Madsen is saying in this talk and um, what the what the, the emailer is referencing. Some week or two or three before Christ went to Gethsemane and Golgotha. And the Jewish apocalyptic tradition is that those two prophets who are to one day testify in the streets of Jerusalem to prepare the hearts of the Jews to be turned to the prophets, which, by the way, section 98 says is another facet of Elijah's mission, those two prophets who are to then literally be killed and who will lie in the streets martyrs just prior to the return of Christ. Those two prophets, according to Jewish literature, are Elijah and Enoch. And there is some hint in the writings of Joseph Smith that he too knew of that and knew of it by inspiration. Okay, so obviously in that clip, uh, Truman Madsen is talking about the importance of Elijah. You can go listen to that entire talk if you want. It's on BYU speeches. We'll put the link in. We, we, won't we, put, we say that, but we, we don't ever do anything. Uh, we, don't, we don't do anything we say we're going to do, which is the reason why if I say we're not going to talk about polygamy till season 38, at least no one can email and say, why haven't you talked about polygamy yet? Because if I said we were going to do it, we just wouldn't. Although we did talk about it. We talked. Yeah, we, we did. We, we talked tangentially around yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and the, let's address that portion there where he, he talks about apocalyptic literature that references it being um, Enoch and Elijah. Now, of course, Elijah is very prominent in uh, Jewish writings. And as you all know, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, that Jewish tradition developed that Elijah, who was taken to heaven without tasting death, that he would return on Passover. And uh, Richard, do you still set a goblet of wine for Elijah at the table there? Well, no, I, I have, I believe, I don't know if I've joked on this podcast, but we, I, I've always wanted to start a Jewish deli, call it Elijah. Elijah's, and then when you come in, hey, we need a. How many of you? There's four. Okay, we need a. We need a party of five. And okay, so no matter no matter how there's an extra seat every time. Every table has an extra chair. It's not very efficient, but it's 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 good for a joke. But uh, um, so it's still a part of Jewish Passover tradition today to set a, a cup of wine in a place on Passover for Elijah to return, and so there is a a heavy amount of um literature devoted to that and it's it's certainly part of jewish tradition in this sense um when he's referencing the apocalyptic traditions that talk about those two prophets well of course the two prophets prophecy that they will die in jerusalem that is a a reference to revelation so it's actually early christian um well it's the the apostle john right that's giving that uh that the apocalypse of john the book of revelation um where that is going to be given as Elijah and Enoch. And this actually comes from a book um, that is sometimes referred to as the Acts of Pilate. Um, and more often, I think now, it's called the Gospel of Nicodemus. 
And that may be uh, what he's referencing when he says early, you know, when he says Jewish apocalyptic literature, the idea of, of Nicodemus being the one writing. Remember, Nicodemus is the one who comes to Jesus and says, you know, you know, can a man be born again? You're right. And, you know, can a man be born again? Well, you know, except a man be born of the water and the spirit. That that whole discussion, Nicodemus came by night. And then Nicodemus appears again, if you remember. He appears when the Sanhedrin is trying to condemn Jesus, right? And what does Nicodemus say? Doth our law condemn any man before it heareth them, right? And then they turn on Nicodemus like on a dime and say, you know, are you also of Galilee? Search you and look for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. I'm, I'm, I'm not reading that. I'm just thinking that. So I'm probably misquoting that. But um, by the way, what, what did the gospel of Nicodemus before it went through a, kind of a brand, a rebranding? What was it called? It, it used to be called the Acts of Pilate. Okay. And so that didn't take off. And they well, went through I mean, a rebrand. It, I mean, so again, as I talked about in, a, in our, our previous podcast, in the early Christian world, any question that you can think about as far as the beginning or ending part of the story, there was usually someone there to, to figure it out. So what's a question that people always ask? Do you think that Pilate became a Christian? Right? I mean, he saw this, he, he realized that he shouldn't have done it. You know, he regretted it. Is he like the centurion who looked up and regretted that Jesus was, had been crucified? The question of what happens to these people after, I mean, there's a whole gospel of Judas that tries to present everything that happened from Judas's perspective. So Nicodemus is one of these characters that's very interesting in the New Testament because he is one of the leaders in the Sanhedrin, one of the leaders of, 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 of the people. He doesn't want to openly proclaim Jesus, but he certainly believes that Jesus is from God and even tries to defend him when they're trying to condemn him. Well, what do you think happens to Nicodemus after that? And, and so there's uh, the tradition ascribed to it is that it was actually Nicodemus who wrote this. Now, scholars don't actually believe that Nicodemus wrote this. Now, again, let me be very clear that this is an apocryphal uh, pseudepigrapha. This is a, a, a text which someone is purporting to have been all the way back to Pilate and to Nicodemus, right? Um, no scholar believes it's actually back to Nicodemus. And it is simply attributed to him. Nevertheless, the fact that this was in circulation, even though it was never included in the Bible, that tradition becomes a part of some aspects of, of Christianity. So um, I think uh, I've had to give a lot of I've had to give a lot of call-outs that just so you know, what I'm about to read is not scripture, and I don't believe that it's scripture. Um, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to re, we're gonna have to come up with a new brand for our podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Standard of Truth Podcast. We don't believe this. Yeah, yeah. Standard of Truth Podcast 2023. What we're about to read, we don't believe. I mean, so. But it does help to provide the context to where this comes from. Right, because uh, that was the reference that, that Truman Madsen made, that it, there was writings that alleged that Enoch and Elijah were the, the two prophets. So if you go to chapter 20, um, you know, as you're following along <laughs> in your Gospel of Nicodemus, <laughs> and of course there's multiple different translations of this, um, so you, it might not read exactly the same because this is coming from a different language. Um, 
But what is going on in the previous chapter is uh, this idea that um, Jesus, after he dies, what happens? Where does Jesus go after he dies? Well, Jesus is going to go to the, 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 the people that are in prison, right? And preach to them. You get that from Peter. That's where you get this, this idea that Jesus goes to hell. They call this the harrowing of hell in Christian uh, uh, literature. Um, Jesus is going to lead some people out of there, and, and they're then going to go to heaven. So we start off this chapter with, Then the Lord, holding Adam by the hand, delivered him to Michael the archangel. So I think we can very quickly state that the Gospel of Nicodemus doesn't exactly follow Latter-day Saint theology, right? Because the Lord is holding Adam by the hand and delivers him to Michael, the archangel, who we know are the same person, right? So I don't know if this would just, if this were true to us, it would be just like Adam holding his own hand at this point. Um, But... Back to the, the the literature. Delivered him to Michael the archangel, and he led them into paradise, filled with mercy and glory. And two very ancient men met them, and were asked by the saints, Who are ye who have not been with us in hell, and have had your bodies placed in paradise? So, so the, the dead saints, who they've all had to suffer death, and are now being resurrected and brought up to heaven, you know, they see these... Who are these two guys? They didn't come in through the bouncer. They they didn't suffer like we did. Who are these guys who didn't die? And one of them answering said, I am Enoch, who is translated by the word of God. And this man who is with me is Elijah the Tishbite, who is translated in a fiery chariot. Here we have hitherto been and have not tasted death but are now about to return at the coming of Antichrist, being armed with divine signs and miracles to engage with him in battle and to be slain by him at Jerusalem and to be taken up alive again into the clouds after three days and a half. So this is, this clearly is borrowing from Revelation, right? The the writer of this gospel is well aware of the apocalypse of John or the book of Revelation and is saying that directly that Enoch and Elijah are going to be those two prophets. And specifically, why are they going to be those two prophets? Because they were never killed in the first place. And so you can see the reason why in Christian tradition, this works out really well. It solves the problem. It solves the problem. God doesn't have to call in two new prophets. He's already got two prophets that haven't been killed yet that he's going to send back down. And it's not hard to believe, you know, as we read in Revelation, that Elijah can have people devoured by fire. I mean, Elijah seems to have the ability to call fire down on places. You know what I mean? I love that he that he can't shake Tishbite. Like, that's how he's described. Well, that's who he is. And what's really weird is how poorly we understand what that even means, right? There's all kinds of theorizing about what it even means being a Tishbite. But at any rate, um, this is the reference that he is making that uh, Enoch and Elijah in this 
apocalyptic writing. Now, the Gospel of Nicodemus is going to be quoted and taken up by other early Christian theologians, and it'll be it'll be cited by them, and so it's going to make its way into this kind of early uh, this early Christian understanding. It's really going to come of age in in the Middle Ages is really when it's going to be. Um, it's going to be most uh, repeated and most uh, in circulation. So it's it's never actually, um, it's never actually, it's certainly not canonized. In fact, it's it may not even have been written before the New Testament canon already takes its shape. It's a really difficult text. Even scholars struggle over when, what was this originally written in and when was it written? Obviously, they're going to place it after the writing of the book of Revelation because it's it's quoting Revelation, and that that's how scholars place it. But the second part of what he said was that you know that Joseph Smith had said things that might uh, imply that, or or that you know that that Joseph might have by inspiration believed that Enoch and Elijah were those two prophets that would that would come. And I'm not entirely sure that that's what the listener's uh, email is, right? I'm not entirely sure what reference um, he's 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 talking about there. Elijah is obviously very essential to Joseph Smith, and in fact, it becomes an essential part of Latter Day Saint theology when the Doctrine and Covenants is reorganized in uh, 1876. There are some additions that are made to the the Doctrine and Covenants from the history of the church. If if you recall uh, what section two is, it's Moroni talking to to Joseph Smith. Well, Moroni says a lot of things to Joseph Smith. He quotes a lot of scriptures to Joseph Smith. But what's the portion that gets canonized in that reorganization? The prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Elijah, right? The, the, the Malachi's prophecy that Elijah will come. You then have section 110, which was in Joseph Smith's journal, this incredible description of Moses, Elias, and Elijah appearing and giving Joseph Smith the keys that include the sealing power. Joseph is going to make reference to this power of Elijah over and over. Now, Enoch is going to appear a lot in Joseph Smith's revelations as well uh in fact part of the book of moses is we we reference as the book of enoch um, because it's an account of enoch in the book of moses and where does that come from from joseph smith's revelation He, he has it revealed to him enoch also factors pretty prominently because what are the saints trying to do in jackson county they're not trying to get tickets to the Chiefs playoff game. They are trying to build the city of Zion. And what are they modeling the city of Zion off of? The city of Enoch. And they believe that the city of Enoch will come down from heaven to meet the new Jerusalem here on earth. That it's this kind of joining of these two perfect cities where the saints have finally let go of their sins. They've prepared the world for the second coming of Jesus. And Enoch the great prophet will will come back down. So both figures are very prominent in Joseph Smith's writing and literature. Let me give you an example of 
uh, one of Joseph Smith's discourses where he talks about it. This is from a March 10th, 1844 uh, discourse. This is uh, recorded in uh, Franklin Richards' journal. The spirit of Elijah is that degree of power which holds the sealing power of the kingdom to seal the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children their fathers, not only on on earth, but in heaven, both the living and the dead to each other, for they, the dead, cannot be made perfect without us. The power of Elijah is that of Elias, what in the architecture of the temple of God, those who seal or cement the stone to their places are to those who cut or hew the stones, the one preparing the way for the other. He's saying the example, right? Elijah is an Elias that, just like the stone cutter's prepare the stone to be put into the temple for the masons um one to prepare the other for uh, for the other to accomplish the work by this we are sealed with the holy spirit of promise elijah um that is is one place where, i mean look there are lots of places i could pull out where joseph is is preaching about um elijah um what's really interesting is there are multiple blessings that joseph smith gives that have as a phrase in them this. Um, So here's one of these blessings. You must prepare your minds to bid a long farewell to Kirtland, even till the great day come. You will see what you never expected to see. You will need the mind of Enoch or Elijah and the faith of the brother of Jared. So again, speaking apocalyptically, certainly Joseph Smith is is talking about Enoch coming down with the city of Enoch and Elijah um, coming to fulfill prophecy. So so it factors pretty prominently in, in several things that Joseph Smith will write. Of course, section 110 is the, the most prominent one, right? That, that this is where Joseph Smith is going to receive these keys that... Um, allow for the sealing of, of families together. Now, uh, Brother Madsen made one comment about section um, about uh, section ninety eight, saying that there it said that part of Elijah's mission was also to uh, you know preach to the to the Jews. Um, if, if you read that in section ninety eight, it doesn't directly say that. This is a revelation that was received right after the saints have been expelled from from Jackson County or they're being driven out of Jackson County. So this is it's a pretty rough time. This is August 6, 1833. So violence has already broken out. They have not yet all been driven out, but they are told you are going to get out and uh, if not there's going to be some violence that's going to take place. Um someday we'll do an entire thing on Missouri. Will we? Yeah, I think we will. So, so that one will happen. Yeah, that'll happen. Okay, I have to, Richard's my handler. I have to check and see whether or not um, that's well, going to happen. It, it is. It is tough. Uh, I mean, it's it, it it's tough to do it in just. It's I would have like to. I'd have to. I'd have to soft pedal the violence that goes on in Missouri. That's, that's part of the problem, and we don't want to soft pedal things, but we'd have to because of the content is pretty awful. At any rate, if you were to go to verse, uh, sorry, section ninety-eight and go to verse 16, you can see why he's making that reference. 
therefore, renounce war and proclaim peace and seek diligently to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. So that's obviously a direct quote from Malachi that Joseph is is using there about what, what Elijah's mission is. And then verse 17, and again, the hearts of the Jews unto the prophets and the prophets unto the Jews, lest I come and smite the whole earth with a curse and all flesh be consumed before me. Now, section 98 does not directly mention Elijah. It doesn't say this is Elijah's other mission that he's going to do it. I think that what Brother Madsen's saying is that's the implication of this because who is doing the turning of the hearts of the fathers to the children? That's That quote is directly about Elijah. And so by implication, the person turning the hearts of the Jews unto the prophets and the prophets unto the Jews is also Elijah. So I think that's what that's uh, making, making a reference to. Now, the question might be asked, well then, does Joseph specifically ever say that Enoch and Elijah are these two prophets who are going to lay in the street? There are very, very, very few times that someone can write in with a question that is almost exactly a question that Joseph Smith was actually asked. And therefore, I can just, I, I don't have to speculate. I can just read his answer. This is luckily one of those times where um, Joseph isn't asked who are the prophets that are going to be slain in Jerusalem. But there is there is an important aspect of this. It, now, uh, it, while you're already in your Doctrine and Covenants, right? Everybody's... Well, if they're not in the Gospel of Pilate or possibly Nicodemus. Yeah, right now, I guarantee they're in the Gospel of Nicodemus. But if you are uh, in your Doctrine and Covenants, you're going to want to go to section 77 of your Doctrine and Covenants. Turn there, verse 15. And this is a series of questions and answers um, that are going to be canonized as a section in the Doctrine and Covenants where Joseph is apparently being asked questions about the book of Revelation and he is providing answers. And, and verse 15, one of those questions is incredibly relevant to this question. What is to be understood by the two witnesses in the 11th chapter of Revelation? Answer. They are two prophets that are to be raised up to the Jewish nation in the last days at the time of the restoration and to prophesy to the Jews after they are gathered and have built the city of Jerusalem in the land of their fathers. So there is a lot of prophetic nature in all of this. Now, first of all, remember I said one of the ways that Christians have dealt with that book of Revelation portion is that it's completely figurative, right? That there is no actual two prophets that's just a way of talking about it. But clearly, Joseph is saying, no, they really are two prophets. They're they, they two prophets. They are uh, to be raised up to the Jewish nation in the last days. Now, it doesn't make any reference to who it is. By implication for me, I would say that had Joseph known that it was Enoch and Elijah at this point, that'd probably be where he would drop that information. And the idea of being raised up to suggests, at least rhetorically, that they aren't already prophets to the Jewish nation, which certainly Elijah was, if and Enoch was a forebear. Um, I don't think we know that per se. And, and you know, Truman Madsen isn't saying in that talk, 
Absolutely, that's what it is, right? He's saying that there are people who have said that it is. This is not something that should uh, hinge our faith one way or the other, I don't think. Um, What exactly the full mission of Elijah and Enoch are. I think for us, we know that there will be two prophets that will be a part of that winding up scene, um, preparing the world for the second coming. What have modern prophets said about it? Just really not very much. I mean, I mean, Bruce R. McConkie in in uh, uh, Doctrines of Salvation, I think, is what it is. He 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 says that that you know undoubtedly these will be people that are you know members of the Quorum of the Twelve or or you know apostles. But even there, he's essentially speculating, and I think that's actually pretty good evidence that were it stated in any categorical way. Um, Elder McConkie would have restated what had been stated categorically. So I don't think we really know. And and I think that we get questions like this a lot because people really are wondering what are the signs of the times. And and while that's a fun thing to speculate on, and, and really you're in good company if you're someone speculating on it because it's literally the thing Joseph Smith prayed about his entire life. He so badly wanted to know when the second coming was going to be. He prayed about it. He asked about it. He wanted. He, he talked about it all the time. But he never got the answer of exactly when it was going to be. And I think it's just always important to remember that no matter what you think is a further evidence that, you know, we are just that much closer to the second coming. I mean, Richard's wife went to Walmart today trying to buy some 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 Valentine candy and there was nothing there. And I think she thinks that's one step closer to... It certainly is a sign. The fifth rider of the apocalypse <laughs> came came storming out of the store. Um, but, you know, you hear people say things like, well, well, we're that much closer. Well, by definition, we're always one day closer to the second coming of Jesus. But of that day or hour, no man knoweth, not even the angels that are in heaven, not even the Son, but the Father only, according to the Scriptures. So... I I very much believe we need to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. But that preparation isn't by trying to pull out a Da Vinci Code style, you know, uh, you know, X marks the spot treasure map to where we're just living and believing the right coded message before we find out who Jesus, you know, when Jesus is coming. Instead, it's living the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to be the city of Enoch, we want to meet them as they come down, well, then we're going to have to start loving each other more than we care about ourselves. And just that alone, look at this world. How many people do you know who truly care about other people more than they care about themselves? They want to make other people look good more than they want to make themselves look good. They want to make other people happy in spite of their own misery. They want to bring people happiness, even if they themselves are not happy. There are some of those people out there, but I think everyone listening would agree, we got a long way to go before we are the city of Zion. I'm not even close. I won't even be allowed to open the door to get into the city of Zion. I'm not just jovial when I shouldn't be. You know, I'm also a sinner. I want to follow the things that God wants me to do, and yet I, I'm i not 
able to do it. I, obviously, I have the ability to do it, but I don't. And so I have to constantly repent and try to become better. So really, the question is not when is the second coming. The question is, if you die tomorrow, are you ready for Jesus? Because as I said before, either he's coming here or you're going there. But the one is a certainty. At some point in your life, you are going to die and you are going to meet Jesus. Unless you happen to be Enoch or Elijah, then, well, if you're counting on being translated to avoid death, I don't think that's a very safe bet. I feel like you should probably be betting, you know, at least hedging on, you know, on the the bangles to be able to cover the spread before you hedge on whether or not uh, you are uh, uh, going to be translated. But the reality of death is, is something that everyone will at some point encounter. And that when that happens, we will eventually meet our Lord and we'll be going to him. And so I, I realize that we, we take some comfort by being able to read the signs of the times and see the things that are going on. But I say, take the most comfort in what your prophet, your current prophet has to say about it. Do all of the things that he is telling you to do. If you find that President Nelson is encouraging you to do something and you aren't doing it, you don't need to go back and read through the gospel of Nicodemus to figure out what it is you should be doing. You can read through their last conference report and see what it is you should be doing. The best part about having a prophet is we don't have to stagger around in the dark wondering whether or not we need to do X or we need to do Y. We will know because our prophet will tell us. I don't need... To, to figure out when I need to book my plane ticket to Jackson County. Because when that time comes, the prophet is going to tell us to go to Jackson County. So we need to live the gospel of Jesus Christ every day, like it's our last day, because it might just be. And then if we're alive tomorrow, praise God and try to serve him a little bit more. So thank you so much for that question. And hopefully... Not too many of Derek's children fell asleep during this discussion. But yes, all of them? All of them. Okay, thank you so much.